Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. In this ever-changing world, it's essential to prioritize our children's emotional well-being. Lynn can show you how to learn and model healthy emotional habits for your loved ones and become a rock-solid support system for your family. Now, here's your host. Hello, and thank you for joining us again as we take the helm. Last week, we spoke with globally sought-after mental fitness resilience coach and master sophrologist, I have to practice that word, Annette Evinghouse. We dove into modeling positive behavior, setting clear expectations, and providing opportunities for children to practice empathy and compassion. What self-sabotaging traits do you have that affect your parenting habits? And we now know what to watch for in our kids if we suspect that they've experienced trauma. And lastly, we talked about how the words we use matter. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed our first show, took away some things to think about, and we would love to have to hear your um, feedback. All right, moving on. We've got so much to share this week. I want to get right into it. If you know or you suspect you're a parent of a strong-willed child, trust me, I am, <laughs> this next hour is for you. Introducing the powerhouse parenting coach for parents of strong-willed kids, Danielle Bettman. Danielle is a positive discipline, certified parent educator with years of experience as a teacher and home visitor with a degree in early childhood development from birth to age eight. She's also a mom of two daughters, a wife of 13 years to her high school sweetheart and host of the well-loved podcast, Failing Motherhood. We'll be talking about that today. Danielle empowers parents to crack the code of their strong-willed child's personality, meeting their deepest core needs to improve their behavior and find new levels of patience. Wow, we could all use that. Instead of inadvertently inviting defiance by using traditional tools or playing whack-a-mole with short-sighted reactions, families get on the same page and learn how to cultivate cooperation while being kind and firm at the same time. Let's invite invite Danielle to join us in the room and transform your relationship with your most challenging child. Welcome to you, Danielle. Hey, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, wow. We have a lot to uh, uh, to jump into in the next hour. And I always ask every guest the same question at the beginning because you're all, you're you're here today for a reason. What led you? What what path did you take to get to where you are today and doing this uh, incredibly powerful work, Danielle? Yeah. Hearing you recap it, it was just like, oh yeah, that's so cool. That's me. That's my story. Um, so let's see, to recap in high school, when you think that you're supposed to figure out what you're going to do with your life, all I knew is I liked working with kids. I was working at a daycare preschool. So I was like, all right, education, I'll be a teacher. And I ended up going to a college where they combine uh, early childhood with elementary and special ed. And so they call it the inclusive major where you can learn to teach any child within this age range from birth through third grade. And I went into that because I thought, you know what, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but that gives me lots of options. So it had a teaching certification and um, all sorts of uh, you know child development built in. So out of school, I started working at a school called Educare. It was in um, Omaha, Nebraska, and it was a Head Start, Early Head Start program, um, beautiful $10 million building, um, very cutting edge uh, programming. And I loved it, but what I realized was the three-year-olds that came in uh, were already missing out on a ton. So I wanted to go start at the beginning, and I switched to Early Head Start. So I started with a group of 
uh, six week to nine month olds and stayed with them for three years, uh, continuity of care and uh, was able to kind of watch them grow up and it was great. And I still felt like something was missing because what was happening in a classroom was great, but what happens at home is what really wires kids. And these parents were doing the hardest job in the world with little to no training to speak of, no village, just, you know, all, all the hard things. And so I wanted to work with them. And I thought if I could empower these parents, not only does it affect their child, but all the kids of that household for not only one school year, but their whole childhood. And so I ended up uh, creating a partnership through our school with Save the Children. And it was a program called Early Steps to School Success. And I was a home visitor then for the next four and a half years where I had a caseload of families and I spent an hour in their house every single week, bringing resources and materials and having lots of conversations around equipping that parent uh, to understand their child's development more, do lots of screenings, read lots of books, do activities between the parent and child, and really just support the parent. And that's kind of when the fire was lit under me and when I also became a parent myself. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> I had two girls back to back. They're 15 months apart. I don't professionally recommend that. It's a little bit too too close in age, arguably. I don't regret it now. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of what led me into working with parents, and I love it. Okay, so uh, two two connections here. Mine are th- my last two are 13 months apart. Yep, yep. Oh I'm my right gosh, with you there, right with you there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how people with t- twins, triplets, quadruplets. I don't know. Oh my gosh, how they do it. Obviously, with a family of support, I hope. Uh, yes, having taught kindergarten, and I only taught it for one year, and I and I think you just you just basically hit it on the nail. Um, and and yeah, so kids are coming into school lacking. I mean, we're not saying there's just there's there's things missing that mm-hmm. we would hope would be in a place. There isn't a kindergarten teacher that I know that hasn't put their eyes on a child and said. Oh, we really got we we got to jump on this and do some early intervention. And by the time they're four or five, we've missed out on a couple of years of early intervention. And that's a different oh, yeah. a different kettle of fish. But okay, so let's talk about what's missing. What's missing in those really early developmental years for kids? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that is just they're taking off. They about ninety percent of all the neuron connections that their brain is going to have in their entire lifetime happen and fire before the age of six. And so, so much, there's a huge bell curve that just explodes in those first few years. The first year, you know, we're seeing a lot of that through their language development and, you know, learning to walk and all these, you know, big milestones happening. But what's really happening is is unseen. And that is when they're kind of downloading the software that they're going to run on autopilot the rest of their life. And those are the things about, uh, you know, kind of the template that they're learning about relationships and their identity that they're beginning to kind of figure out who am I and how do I see the world and what do I need to do to get my needs met? And they're kind of asking a lot of questions of their world and taking lots of notes and then being able to kind of run some systems and whatever their brain is perceiving is, you know, kind of what then the narrative is that they begin to believe. And it's not entirely even accurate, but that is they're filling in the gap so that they can make sense of it as well as they possibly can for the life experience they have. And a lot of those notes they're taking down are really core things that, you know, we as adults still hold with us today. And, you know, that is, you know, some of the the pieces of their confidence or their self-image or their understanding of trust in relationships and just kind of these core attachment features. And uh, and a lot of that, you know, we want 
to be as intentional as possible when we're supporting these kids, but we don't even know what's going on behind the scenes, behind their eyes. I, I love what you said about their perceptions, right? Mm -hmm. These little, little people who are just taking all in 24 seven around them, what they perceive and what they believe. So, so very often as an educator, you know, when you get into a conversation with a child and you try to understand, that's the most important part is trying to understand where they're coming from, because it's a place that we sometimes can't even imagine. Well, I'm not really sure how we got there, but oh, now I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about some of those roots that create that um, a child's emotional well-being at home. Uh, we used to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Is that still is that still the go-to? For the most part, for I think understanding the rudimentary uh, you know needs of humans that we as adults can relate to, because I think sometimes we put kids on a different pedestal and you know almost like other them in some way. And we're so much more alike than we are different when it comes to how we're interacting in the world and the things that we thrive on day to day. You know, we, we need to feel in control. We need to feel loved. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel safe. And kids need all the th same things, if not so much more, because it, it makes it possible to unlock all the other things that they need to do to learn and grow. So that sense of belonging and significance to me is one of the most critical things because if a child doesn't feel loved or safe or belonging to something you know, that gives them that sense of growing confidence in themselves and ability to take risks, um, yes. how do we develop that? I mean, this is a big question, right? Because we all think we're yes. doing it and we and we certainly are. I just want to say to parents, right? We, you know, there's no manual that comes with parenting. Every single nope. child is different. And one of the things we need to practice, and I hope, and I've just learned this in the last five years of my life, is self-compassion and forgiveness. And yes, we're trying and we're doing the best that we can. And if this doesn't work, that's okay. We're gonna try something else. So, you know, that sense of belonging, what do we need to be doing to make that happen for kids yes. today? With all of this information surrounding them in this, oh, in this world much. that none of us have ever experienced. Too much, too much, too much. And I'm so glad you added that caveat in because that's why I have my podcast, Failing Motherhood, is because none of this is strategy-wise is accessible if a parent themselves doesn't have sanity or the capacity to learn it or isn't uh, thriving themselves. So I always prioritize a parent's mental health first and then a child's mental health second. And so we, everything that we're talking about in this conversation is with that caveat in mind. Um, and I always, always, always am supporting the, the parent first, you know, and that's why I do what I do. And I know in a classroom, I'm working with the parents. Um, so a sense of belonging within a family is a very unique opportunity to create this sense of being known for who you are inside an identity that is bigger than you. And you can do that within a family of two, a family of three, a family of five in a really, really special way. And one of the ways that I do that with my clients is we write a family agreement where the family sits down and together says, how do we want to feel in our home? Let's just write down a few things. We want to feel safe. We want to feel like we have fun. You know, we want to feel uh, like we love each other, like loved. You know, we want to feel so secure. Okay, what makes us feel that way? What makes you feel that way? Let's take some notes and write down some examples. Okay, so what are some ways we can protect that with some family rules? And then it kind of connects the dots between oh, okay, so it's not just arbitrary, you know, parents are mean and they make us turn off our screens when we don't want to. It's, oh, mm -hmm. it's actually a part of this like bigger, uh, you know, 
sense of community and it's for our good so that we can have more fun together so that we can, you know, be nicer to each other at the end of the day. And it opens their eyes to uh, these bigger concepts and and helps us be able to feel like our uh, boundaries we're enforcing are coming from a really, really healthy, secure place, too. And there's a lot of mutual respect there. And they become members of that uh, family mm-hmm. unit. And uh, I don't it's never too it's never too young because even if the conversation is between uh you know the, the two whatever that family unit looks like and a two-year-old it's the parents that are communicating as well to make sure this is something that they both agree on as their kids are growing older i think am i right yes oh yeah yeah it's all about the modeling and you know kind of what you're beginning to allow them to absorb through that sponge that you know they are right then yeah i love it i love it somebody said to me um, oh, well, this is more about communication, but you know, the connectedness, it's really, you know, the, the old, how was school today? And you get this answer. Oh, it was fine. It was fine. But if you ask an intentional um, question of every family member before you leave the house in the morning, uh, for example, what will make you feel happy? This is lady JB Owen, actually, who said this. So I have to give her credit. What will make you happy as you leave the house today? And each person says, oh, well, I have this happening and I have this happening. Then when everybody's back at home, you can ask the question and there's intention and there's follow-up and they feel listened mm-hmm. and they feel heard. And that unit, that family unit then is again connected. Just thought I'd share that. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> gets the I'm fine response after school. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to I move over to a huge one. This this will take us a while, but you mentioned it in what we all need control. We certainly need control as adults, as um, you know, as a teacher, <laughs> uh, offering choices is one of the most powerful um, strategies to use as educators. You know, get, for an example, when a student becomes a defiant, but we give the choices that we can live with, right? Mm-hmm. So, and when we give the choices we can live with and they have a choice, they take back control. So yes. I see that you're upset and I'd like to talk to you about that. Would you like to take a walk? Or would you like to have them in my office to calm down immediately? That gives them a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've looked through the educator context in there because there's a direct connection to that sense of control. But what do we do with a two-year-old, Danielle, to give them <laughs> a sense of control in their lives? <laughs> yes, yes. They're the ones that are screaming for it the most, arguably, uh, because everything yes. in their life feels like they it is decided for them. They are told what to do almost every minute of the day, and they're just dying to have some of that control back. And they want to know that life is happening. Life is not happening to them, but they are an active participant in creating life and being able to have a little bit of a runway of expectations or making it a little bit more predictable so that they know what's going to happen before it's going to happen. And, you know, so often with, especially if kids have not a whole lot of expressive language, then we kind of just take it for granted and just, you know, do things for them or uh, don't really give them a heads up because, you know, they're just along for the ride. Well, they're that they're not willingly along for the ride. They're, you're going to get their heels pulled in deep and they're going to pull you back if you don't <laughs> I'll bring them along in a really uh dignified way. So a lot of what uh, the parents I work with need to do is first start by 
having some visual schedules. So a two-year-old can easily be able to um, have the emotional literacy to you know, look at small clip art and be able to say, oh, okay, so in the morning, I need to get my diaper changed, then eat breakfast, then get dressed, and then grab my backpack. Mm-hmm. And you know, those four things, if I can just see them on the wall, then that is in charge and not mom you know, nagging and pulling me along or you know, we're just constantly power struggle battling. And instead, I can go read my chart and I can decide which one I want to do next. And I can tell mom what to do next. And that's really empowering. So simple ones for the morning, simple ones for the bedtime routine, um, even just a little bit of a one for what our day entails is super powerful to be able to say, okay, we have breakfast, then we go to the park, then we have lunch, then we have snack, or then we have a nap, and then, you know, dinner and then watch a movie being able to kind of put that out linearly and chronologically. Um, you don't have to stick to it perfectly. It can change every day, but being able to just provide some sort of sense of making sense of time is a, it's a very ambiguous concept. Kids really struggle with that. Making that make sense is going to make both sides of the cooperation uh, together so much easier. And, you know, so that's, that's a big one. Um, being able to have simple rituals that, uh, you know, because transitions are the hardest point in change being something that they have to be okay with. Um, you know, separation anxiety is also peaking in toddlers. So if you can have a simple goodbye routine or a little ritual where every single time you drop them off at daycare, you do the same exact things. You walk up to the door, you do a hug, you do a kiss and a high five, and then you hand them to their teacher and you walk away. No matter how much they're having a hard time, if you do that every single time, that is reassuring, that is comforting, that allows them to feel like, okay, this is predictable, it makes sense, I'm going to be, you know, may not like it, but it's, I'm okay with it. And little things like that are allowing you to see that this child just needs to feel secure and in control of their own little life. And I can do that without diminishing my authority. It's really actually empowering both of us. Oh my gosh, so many things. I, I, I just want to hit on what you said about, you know, get letting them get dressed. So when you see little people heading out in the morning with the mismatched clothing and whatever, and oh, it's lovely because you know that they have taken control for themselves and they're proud of themselves. Yes. So you notice that in a very positive way. Wow. Well, we're heading off to break. We have talked about so much. We're coming back after break with uh, Danielle um, Beckman. We're going to be talking about self-regulation and how do we get our kids through those emotional roller coasters when they're pulling us in with us, with them. (laughs) We'll be back in a moment. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. 
This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice of America Health and Wellness. Are you feeling confused by all the medical information out there? Listen to Healthy Wealthy You to learn strategies that will help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. It's you living your best life. Healthy Wealthy You with host Dr. Camille Vardy, Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. Thanks for being with us. We are here with Danielle who is a positive discipline certified parent educator. We've talked about so many things. We're going to jump in now to self-regulation and uh, emotional roller coasters with our, you know, highly motivated or strong-willed kids. But I want to go back and ask a question about something we were just talking about before the break, Danielle, with um, the daily schedules. I love the morning. I love the bedtime schedule. We have the bedtime schedule going on in our house. But in the daily schedule, how do you prep a child? Or maybe you can't even prep them because that schedule changes for some reason. How do we how do we get around that outburst when something they expected to happen isn't going to happen? Ooh, yes. Yes. That it happens all the time because that's life, right? Like not mm-hmm. everything is predictable. And e- even the best intentioned parent that's laying out everything beforehand has that fear of, well, now I'm promising something that might not happen. And we all know how that goes down. And uh the way I would address that is to, to, you know, like no matter how much you visually depict things, kids are doing that anyway. They have the expectation in their head of how things are going to go, even if it was not communicated and it's completely unspoken and unagreed upon even. And then <laughs> when that expectation comes crashing down with reality, they have a hard time. And that comes up all the time, whether or not it's, you know, something about, oh, I thought my friend was going to bring their this toy for their play date and they didn't, or I thought we were going to do this at school and we didn't. So they're always having to deal with this, you know, emotional, dissonant, like cognitive dissonance. And now we're able to just help them see that and understand it even more, even though they still may protest. And, you know, emotions are okay. They are entitled to have an opinion and not want things to go not their way. That is, you know, allowed. And we want to help them know how to deal with that emotion without it being hurtful, right, to, you know, people, places, or things. So it is a big learning opportunity, and it is kind of a necessary component for the skill building that we're trying to do at this age. And, you know, however blindsided you are by these changes in your day-to-day, 
we and with my clients, we use a collaborative problem solving approach, which means that you identify a problem and then work together to find a solution. And so if you uh, can just say, oh, no, we had this plan for the day and now it has to change, right? Like the the toilet stopped working mm -hmm. and so a plumber has to come. So we can't leave the house now. Ugh. And if you can just relate and say like, that's so disappointing. We really wanted to go to the park today and now we have to stay home. Oh man, I'm disappointed. Are you, you know, that, that stinks. And let's find a way to make it fun while we stay home. What can we do instead? Let's think about some other things that we could do that would, you know, be accessible now. And that's going to be able to give you a, a shared sense of moving forward rather than just feeling like uh, it's me against you. And, and you just changed the context of the conversation to one of respect. And I've just yes. say many times, Danielle, we need to respect our children as we expect to be respected ourselves, right? So yeah. in, instead of the uh, mom's the boss, let's go, we got to go or nope, we can't go. I, yeah. I, that whole opening up the lines of communication and bringing them in as problem solvers, really, oh my gosh, that just empowers them too. Problem so solvers, much. empowerment, got to love mm -hmm. it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, we're hitting on, some, on so much. All right, I want to talk about, and the next part we are going to get into is kids feeling seen and understood by their parent. And that example that you just gave is one where that strong-willed child is often feeling misunderstood, but the two-way communication helps them to feel less stuck, I guess yes. I'll say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The uh, strong-willed kids uh, have a very, very strong, overwhelming sense of, I know what I want and I know how to get it. And I feel like this is the path I need to take. It is uh, necessary and justified. And if, uh, if you don't meet me there with that, if I don't know that you get what I'm trying to say, the, if the message I'm sending is not received, then I feel like I have no choice but to escalate that message and make it both of our problems essentially. And, uh, and we're, I'm going to push through, but I'm going to feel like I can't get over this. Like I, I cannot just move on. And that's when parents get understandably extremely frustrated because I've explained the reason why I've brought in lots of logic and reasoning. And I'm trying to lean on that rather than the exasperated anger or just, you know, big shows of dysregulation on my side of it. So I'm trying to, you know, trying here and we are just like at each other's throats because you're not getting what I'm saying. I'm not getting what you're saying. And here we are at this impasse and we can't move forward. And uh, there's understandably lots of big emotions at play. And that is a huge piece of the miscommunication with strong-willed kids because they're not doing it because it makes sense. It's not a logical, rational uh, next step. They're reacting usually impulsively. Um, the reasons they have are very irrational and it's hard for parents to work with that when they're very analytical themselves and there becomes a big mismatch right. in communication. And I would think very often uh, kids don't know why, why this is blown. Right. And so that whole piece about teaching emotional vocabulary and how, helping them understand what body look like, what are you, or, you know, are you red in the face or are you, are you tense? Well, that mean that you're worried. That might mean that you're angry. Let's talk about what could have made you right. And then teaching all of that at a young age, because then they bring it with them for life. 
Uh, yes. It, yes. It, yeah. And there's the, for, for a lot of kids, they need to do that in moments that are not about them. They need to be able to talk about the TV character and what the TV character is going through or, you know, relate to watching a parent model that and say, oh, the TV remote is not working. I'm so frustrated. I want to throw it against the wall, but I'm not going to, right? I'm going to take a deep breath. And that's when they're really going to take it in. But when it's these big emotion moments for them, they become like they just see red. They are not teachable really in that moment. And if you're becoming frustrated and dysregulated yourself, you're not a good teacher either. And so if we try to put all the pressure on this one moment that we think is most influential right before or after a big behavior occurs, then, you know, we're missing the mark on a lot of the teaching that can be happening in all the other neutral moments that are much more, you know, easier to get through to them in and take advantage of those. That makes a big difference too. And a neutral w- moment will come after they've calmed down, which is another yes. another teaching time too. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, let's talk about, well, we have been talking about it in, under a big umbrella, that self-regulation piece, which is, which is so important. So I want to ask you, how do you differentiate, Danielle, between, you know, the child that comes home from school and uh, has held in those emotions all day long for whatever reason, fear, anxiety, concern, whatever. They come home and, whoo, you get the blow up. You get the blow up. How do you differentiate between them being a strong-willed person and maybe there's something developing, developing like anxiety, which needs some additional support for Oh, yeah, that is such a great question and an important one for parents because that's one of their, if they're doing, if they're taking parenting seriously, then they're worried about things that matter. And, you know, asking that type of question shows that you are worrying about the things that matter because you are wanting to be vigilant and responsive and you're wanting to get seek out the support that your child might need and, you know, not be a limiting factor because you are missing the mark or missing the signs. So that's already, you're already on the right track if you're, you know, wondering something like that. And sometimes it's very hard because a lot of their behavior, especially when it's like two inches from your face and you are in it day after day and it's mostly with you, it feels very overwhelming to see the big picture and be able to zoom out. So a lot of what you are starting to look for are more and more indicators to help you make sense of things. So in and of itself, one incident, you could create a whole backstory and whole narrative and, a, and <laughs> know exactly what's going to happen 20 years from now based off that one incident, but that's not going to be uh, well-informed, right? <laughs> so we have to be able to take a lot of things into account and then look at the bigger picture. What is the pattern here? Um, what is What are we really seeing? How many environments is this happening in? How often is this happening? Um, what types of language are they using? And you know, what are we seeing as um, some of the biggest triggers that they that we're we're responding to? And a lot of that with a strong-willed child is, you know, anxiety in a sense because they again are feeling like they don't have control, and there's no feeling that's more anxiety-prone than feeling out of control of your own life. And uh, so a lot of the things that they're struggling with with this personality trait is very likened to other things, and that's why parents will um, jump to therapy and a child therapist as usually their their first line of defense because they're thinking, okay, this child needs a lot more skill building with emotional regulation. Um, I don't know what I'm missing, and so I need somebody else to teach it to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But a 
that's not understanding exactly what's missing um, in its entirety. So it's not going to hurt, but it's also not going to make the biggest difference in the most efficient way um, for this personality trait. So it's it's very hard to understand when when you're looking at one instance, but strong-willed kids overall, they have high highs and low lows. So if you only see low lows and no high highs, that's one big indicator that they're maybe struggling um, with their mental health in a way that, you know, let's go see a practitioner. If there was a particular incident that changed their personality kind of on a dime and there's been a before and after, then that's definitely a sign that they you need to go see a practitioner right away. But if this has kind of been, they've just been obstinate since day one, since like, you know, the womb, then, you know, then you're dealing with something else. And so you're kind of trying to look in the big picture, what are we seeing? And if we see a child that is also very excitable and lovable and sweet and helpful when they want to be. And like the, there's their excitement is tenacious and like, you know, palpable when they're excited, then you, you know, don't fret when the lows are, you know, as visceral. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for that explanation. All right. I want to throw this in. Uh, We haven't talked about this, but you know, and I've got my educator hat on as well as my parent hat too, right? No. Oh my gosh. Talk about a trigger word. It's just the word itself. It's not even the fact that you said no. It's just they hear the word and Mm -hmm. many kids go off. So I I always like to use, uh, instead of saying no, for example, we can find other ways to say no that doesn't make the child go, whoa, you know, your child's watching a TV show, but you're about to go out shopping. So what you can say is, we can make that happen. I'll record your show for you and we can watch it when we get home from the grocery store. I need your help picking up your breakfast or your cereal or your snack. And that sends them several messages. You heard them. Yes, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to watch their show and you need their help. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I teach uh, the, the collaborative problem solving piece. You know, again, you can use that in any circumstance and be able to say, hey, I see you're having a really hard, like you love the show. Right. You love the show. You wish you could watch the show for eight more hours. Understandably, uh, it's not fun, you know, for kids to go to the grocery store. I hear you really reiterating. Mm -hmm. I get it. I know what you're trying to say. You know, I'm even saying it for you. So there's no reason to escalate. And, you know, that that big word, not but, but and. Yeah. Oh, yes. uh, You know, we I can't I'm not going to have anything to make you for dinner if we don't get to the grocery store. That's oh, the, the that. problem. That's the limiting factor here. So what can we do? You know, would you like to watch TV when we get back? Um, would you like, you know, that's where you bring in those choices of what is, what is two options of a way that you can cooperate right now that is going to bring back some control for you? You know, would you like to bring um, this stuffed animal or this book in the car? Would you like to wear these shoes or these shoes? Would you like to uh, come with me and find some fruit snacks or pick out a cereal? Like, let's just talk through all the things that you do have control over. And that's going to be able to get you into a place of considering that rather than just sitting in the consideration of, do I want to go to the store? Yes or no. And that's where they stay stuck. All right. Where were you when my kids were little? (laughs) Seriously, I'm so thrilled to be bringing your voice out for for everyone to to hear because, yeah, strong-willed kids are everywhere. All right. I just want to hit on one more thing here before we head off for a break. Um, that healthy balance in the parenting approach between being authoritative and warm, respectful and kind and firm. You've given some examples. 
Um, but the authoritative approach isn't going to get us anywhere. In my mind, it's going to get those kids even into a more combative and volatile state. Yes. Yep. hundred percent. I, the positive discipline, the line is being kind and firm, which means that yes, you are validating emotions and you are making them feel heard and validating and you're still holding to an expectation or a boundary that is a non-negotiable, but then you're following that up with all the things that are negotiable about that and being able to help them wrap their mind around that reality in a way that still shows that you, you know, have kind of the control you, you do, uh, you are the one in charge. That's not, they know that whether or not, you know, you make it completely obvious, but being able to walk that line, even in the same sentence by saying, yeah, I know you love this show. This is your favorite show. Oh my gosh. And we do need to get to the store right now. So we're going to have to shut it off. Would you like me to shut it off? Or you, do you want to shut it off with mm-hmm. being able to just follow that right up and make both of those things, you know, true. They are both true. You love this show and it's time to go. That one doesn't, you know, uh, negate the other. Um, and being able, that allows you to have a lot more confidence as a parent. And that vibe of confidence is what you need much more than just a loud voice or a big, you know, intimidating type uh, feature over your child. Well, when we have that healthy vibe and that respectful vibe, it feeds us too, right? What oh, goes totally. around comes around. It's like a family dynamic. One person's upset, angry, and we all feel it. We all sense oh, it. The walking on eggshells is real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've read the book too, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, we're going to offer another break. We come back with Danielle Batman. We're going to be talking about her class called Authentic and Unapologetic. I love that look to everything that you do. It's free training and her podcast called Wholeheartedly Calm. We'll be right back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. (laughs) Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you care about your health, your children's future, and the planet's prosperity... 
Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers nature-based solutions for our own survival as a species. Your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo, will point you in the direction of making better everyday choices for your health, the planet, and future generations. On the edge of intellectual, poetic, and spiritual perspectives, Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. We're back with Danielle Bettman. And uh, before we go any further, be really specific. We should be very specific about, you know, what do strong, what does it look like? How do I know if I have a strong-willed child? And how are they different? Is there is there a neurodivergence there? So how do I know my kid is a strong-willed kid? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes if you ask a parent of a strong-willed child, they will say, if you know, you know. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, we like to give a little bit more parameters than that, uh, where, you know, especially if you have nothing to compare it to, you don't have nieces and nephews, and maybe you only have one child, how can you know, right? And how can you know if what you're dealing with is, quote unquote, normal, or if there is something really wrong here, because, you know, we have meltdowns three, four, five times a day, this can't possibly be normal, what is going on here? And uh, if you have two kids, and one of them is really easy, go with the flow, compliant, like wants to make you happy, and then the other is the opposite, then you you know, <laughs> you know, but uh, there are, you know, several indicators of, of kind of the pattern that you start to see as they get a little bit older. And a lot of it is the big emotions, the like the high highs, the low lows. Like I said, it feels like their emotions are just very big, very big, and in, in all capacities on that spectrum. And for you know, my daughter when she's excited, her her you know her arms just like tense up and she almost like flaps with excitement. It's so visceral. And then when she is mad, you can just feel when she's on my body that it's just like completely overwhelmed her. She has no capacity to control it at that point. Um, she also has a really, really sweet, big heart. Um, she feels things big because she's very empathetic and, you know, empathetic and she is like gets upset with a commercial, you know, where something happens to someone and she feels bad for them. Um, so that sensitivity Aww. is a big piece of it. Um, a lot of parents will say they're so smart. They're so smart, you know, they're perceptive and observant and they know what's going on. And uh, that means that they're usually pretty expressive too over time. They have a big vocabulary, but then it, when they get emotionally right, like flighted, they lose it. And then they start to use like um, animal sounds or like meh, or just like growls. And then a parent is like, what is happening? I know you know your word, like use your words, but they can't. Um, that's a, that's a big indicator. Um, you know, parenting them feels exhausting because everything is a constant negotiation, every care task, every decision, everything that needs to be communicated. There's pushback, there's resistance, there's, you know, my side versus your side. And it just feels like, oh, I don't know what's going to set them off next. I don't even know, you know, why, why they're mad. And it's very emotionally draining as a parent. 
But typically, they do pretty well at school where they, you know, a lot of this is environment specific and they do, they can kind of, it feels like they can turn it on and off um, where they're filtered or, the, or they have it under control with, you know, a babysitter or at school, but then they save it all up for you at home, which is supposed to be a compliment. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. But it yes. makes it very <laughs> difficult when the, they're at school more and more throughout the day and then it's more concentrated at home that you're seeing these big emotions. Um, and they just really want life to be on their terms because they have strong opinions and they're very persistent and, you know, they know what they want and they're going to go after it, which is going to serve them so well in life, right? They're going to be the leaders of a Fortune 500 company sometime soon. Uh, we just have to survive <laughs> until they get there. <laughs> and um, and usually, you know, there's one parent that is dealing with the brunt of this where um, it feels like they're either being walked all over or they're w walking on eggshells or they're a punching bag for these emotions and they're just trying to use the tools they have to to figure this out but it just feels like a lot so that parent is also very guilt-ridden um they have anxiety mm -hmm. themselves they have uh, a lot of overwhelm they're burned out uh, you know they they aren't taking care of themselves because they are just trying to get through the day and make sure everybody else is happy and usually one of the parents uh because it might be you know kind of genetic they're strong-willed themselves. And so they have a very strong sense of how the day should go and how their child should act and, you know, what they should be doing. And then that tenacity, you know, butts up with their child's tenacity. And so, of course, they're going to have a hard time or they're going to feel like they're at each other's throats. And uh, so it just kind of perpetuates a vicious cycle of frustration and resentment between the parent and the child. Well, you just described <laughs> Uh, you just described my life about, oh my gosh, 10 years ago or so, which is a great segue to your podcast, Failing Motherhood. I was totally vulnerable as your guest, Danielle. I, yeah. I, I shared, you know, this if we only knew then what we know now, um, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of uh, having an anxious child and, and wanting to be in control. So I, you know, if you want, you want to hear that vulnerable side, full, full permission of my 25 year old daughter who's doing beautifully. But wow, it was a really challenging time. And like I said, I wish I had, wish I had you to learn from <laughs> yeah. back then. All yeah. right, let's talk about your podcast. Yeah. So it's called Failing Motherhood, like you said. Um, it came from a place of doing a survey with a bunch of um, anonymous parents. And I asked them, what keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of? What are your fears as a parent? And I thought it was going to be, you know, oh, something bad happening to my child or, you know, these health things or whatever. And for the most part, it was some sense of, I feel like I'm failing. I feel like I'm screwing them up. I'm afraid of my temper and I feel like I'm the only one. And, you know, it, it's just comical when you see all of these anonymous, anonymous responses all saying, I'm the only one that feels this way. And they all are saying the exact same thing where I was like, okay, we need to talk about this. We need to break down the stigma. I know there's already so much with even um, asking for help in and of itself, let alone asking for help as a parent to say, I don't know how to parent my child. I can't control this. You know, I don't have um, this all under control. So just being able to talk about that. So every guest that I come on, I do interviews every other week. They, I ask every guest, how have you felt like you were failing as a parent? You know, share mm -hmm. openly, share honestly, and uh, be able to just, even if you're an expert in, a, you know, you have a PhD, you're going to have felt like you were failing at some point or have a very specific story or, you know, struggled in a, in a certain way with, with one of your kids. So let's talk about that. 
And then let's talk about how you've grown or what you've learned and what you have to share to listeners that they could learn, you know, from your story and just being able to dive into uh, what it really looks like behind the scenes in another person's life, not just the Instagram highlights. Um, That's what, (laughs) um, you know, listeners come to my podcast for. And so it's a lot of stories and, you know, we, we talk about picky eating. We talk about a lot of topics that are, you know, near and dear to making parents feel like they're failing, you know, like sleeping through the night and all the things. But then every other week as well, I dive into a specific topic or a, um, a something that you can learn about strong-willed kids that's going to help you if that's you know something you're particularly struggling with as a parent. So we have over 100 episodes over there. It's on every platform and it's um, every Tuesday. And you can search by subject. You can search by topic. And if you want to search the words strong-willed, you probably get about 100 of your episodes showing up in that search engine. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, how a lot of people are uh, finding me, actually. They're searching strong willed child on Spotify. And yeah. There, here yeah. I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so fantastic to, to actually, you know, there's a there's a difference between speaking with a clinician. And trust me, I, I use clinicians on my own gone counseling and all those things in my life. But to actually speak to someone who's had the life experience, it just makes it so much more uh, meaningful to me. To so me, personally, that's my that's my opinion, my mm-hmm. opinion. All right. Uh, now, Ness, the segue is beautiful. Now, you offer free training for parents. What's yes. it all about? Where, yeah. where can they find you? Yeah. So my my website is called Parenting Wholeheartedly, and uh, right there on the front page is a free training for parents of strong willed kids that really want to cultivate cooperation without yelling, without crushing their spirit, without threats and bribes what do I do? Because clearly the tools in my toolkit aren't working. And in this free training, I go into the four misconceptions that you might be believing about how to parent your strong-willed child that are keeping you from the relationship you want with your child and the home environment that you desire for your family life. And so we go into those in depth. And then I um, introduce my framework, which has the pillars of your composure, as a parent, your communication style with your child and meeting your child's core needs. And, you know, a breakdown kind of the tools in each one of those uh, toolkits that you need comprehensively, holistically to work on all at the same time because they're so interconnected to be able to really improve your child's behavior and improve your own behavior as a parent and have more control over you know what you can control which is your responses and your reactions and that is truly the most effective uh most time efficient energy efficient you're spending energy either way as a parent you're either going to deal with the meltdown or you're going to figure out how to avoid the meltdown in the first place they both are exhausting but you choose the, you know, choose the path that you want to be on that is going to get you to more hope and more um, potential for better days as a family. You know, a lot of my clients come into my program saying, I want to homeschool. I want to, uh, you know, start a, start my own business. I want to live abroad. I want to do these, I have these big dreams. And I don't feel like that's possible right now. I feel like we're held hostage the way that we're living right now with the behaviors that you know we're dealing with that are uncontrollable. So I make those dreams a reality by allowing you to create the path to get there. And a lot of that is what I dive into in that training. So you can kind of wrap your mind around what that work looks like and, and how to do that as a family. So it's parentingwholeheartedly.com slash unapologetic. I mean, those are some big life changes. We're talking about, do we go inner? 
can we go through the drive through at Tim Hortons? Of course, I'm in Ontario without having a meltdown, a breakup. Yeah, yeah. literally. You know, those, <laughs> uh, those, those kinds of things. So that's, those are daily decisions where in the, you're in the reactive. That's what the show is all about, being proactive. Danielle, yes. I pulled something off, off your site that I, I think this just, this just speaks to me. And I'm only going to, I'm going to pull a few of the bullets out. But if you're a parent of a strong-willed child, tell me if you've thought about any of these things. I'm scared of my child sometimes. I never know what's going on. Raise your hand, people. Or if you're in the car, don't raise your hand. Just, oh, yep, that's me. <laughs> I don't I don't like being around them. We're spending time with them right now because the relationship is just so, you know, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm overreacting. It's all in my head. Oh, I hate how angry I get with them. I don't like the person I become around them. That's the driving force and so many more things that you talk about on your site. But we go back to modeling and learning ourselves um, so our kids be the best kids they can be, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And and these are, again, those 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 things that parents keep deep down. They're suffering silently because they're not allowed to admit those things or they don't know who to admit those things to or what to even do with that. And so they stay relatively miserable thinking like this is the best it's going to get or I've tried everything and you know none of it has worked. So here I am. This is just the lot I have in life. And that is, is just not true. There are so many parents that not only are thinking the same things as you and feel the same way as you, but uh, it is so important for you to find a person and people that get what you're going through as the parent of a strong-willed child and to find a community of resources and a plan for you to make better days inevitable for your family. Um, it's possible. You haven't tried everything if you haven't worked with me and there's still so much possibility for the, the life that you thought you were going to have as a parent um, being a, a possibility when, when you do, when you work on your composure, when you find new ways to communicate that are as intentional as a hostage negotiator and that's the level you need <laughs> with, a, with a parent with strong-willed kids and then just being able to get them back to a higher level of baseline so that they're not so constantly irritable and you know ready to set off uh, at, the, at a moment's notice by giving them more control like we talked about and more um, connection and attention you're going to see a different kid and I would love that for yeah. you if that's yeah. what you're feeling. And I think what you've talked about today can apply to every single child, just if we think about changing our approach. I'm so thrilled that you have joined us today, Danielle. Do you have a few closing comments to take us out? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, every time I'm getting kind of a platform, I want to be able to say, hey, if you have learned all the things, if you have, you know, a Rolodex of strategies that you've pulled from Instagram and you listen to all the parenting podcasts and you have all the books on your nightstand, um, you're not lacking information. We have the internet, right? Mm -hmm. You're not lacking information at this point. <laughs> you are lacking individualized insight so that you can make yeah. sense of these bigger concepts. The, what does that actually mean for my kid at this age and this circumstance when I can't get them to get their car seat buckles on? Like, make it make sense. That's the level of insight you need um, to be able to troubleshoot and problem solve and tweak. And that's why yeah. you need, you know, someone who really actually knows you and not just like a self-paced course that drops in your lap and figure it out, make it make sense yourself. And so if you don't okay. have that level of support, that's the level of support you deserve as a parent that is, you know, having a really hard time with a, with a really challenging child. And uh, so yeah. that's probably what's more 
ignore what's missing. Um, so give yourself that benefit of the doubt. It's not you. You are not just a flawed parent that has a terrible child. That is not the reality. Um, if we can look at it from a new angle, it's so much more hope giving. Thank you. Great closing words. It's important to hear perspectives from all corners of the world. If you have expertise, insights, or life experiences in the area of children's mental health from a proactive place and would like to be considered as a guest on Taking the Helm, email me at lynn at lynnmclaughlin.com. That's M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. And next week's guest is Amber Raymond. She's a practicing clinician in social work. She's also the founder of Mess Makers Incorporated. That's M-E-S-S-S, three S's. She has a summer program that guides children to connect to themselves internally so they can better understand themselves and discover their truest potential. And if you're wondering why there's three S's, we're talking about motivation, empathy, self-regulation, self-awareness, and social skills with her company, Messmakers. And in closing, let's look in the mirror, everyone, and learn what we need to and empower our children to face the ups and downs that life will surely bring. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for your children that empowers them to be their best selves. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.